very sensitive work that has to be done, but I think for people to to find some peace, they need to need to find out what happened to their ancestors and you know confirm for their, themselves and their families. This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. Many Indigenous children never made it home from school. That's part of the terrible legacy of Canada's Indian residential schools. This spring, ground-penetrating radar will be used to look for unmarked graves at the former site of Chutla School, also known as the Carcross Indian Residential School in southern Yukon. It ran at various points between 1903 and 1969. The search at Chutla follows last spring's discovery of unmarked graves at the former site of a residential school in Kamloops, B.C. That led to the call for searches at other sites across the country. In June, Yukon Premier Sandy Silver said his government will fund the search for graves in the territory. The federal government has also promised funding for the searches, as well as for programs to support Indigenous communities through the process. There were at least six residential schools and residences in the Yukon. It's not known how many children died at the schools here. That's part of what the Chutla Working Group is hoping to find out. It's organizing the search for graves in the Yukon. Adeline Weber is chair of the working group. She's an advocate for Indigenous rights and the founder of the Aboriginal Women's Circle. Before retiring, she worked in the federal public service and with land claims and First Nations self-government agreements. Adeline is my guest today. This interview is based on a story written by Sandrine Murray for the spring issue of Yukon North of Ordinary magazine. This interview contains material that may be triggering to some. I want to tell you about the 24-7 Indian Residential Schools Crisis Line. That number is 1-800-721-0066. That's 1-800-721-0066. Here's Adeline. My name is Adeline Weber. I'm I'm a member of the Teslin Clinkett First Nation. Um, I'm from the Kokoton clan. Uh, we're the Raven children, and my Klingit name is Kaide. How did you react uh, last spring when you heard the news out of Kamloops about the discovery of the graves? Well, I was really sad to to hear um, that news confirmed. Um, you know, we always hear these stories, uh, especially with the um, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission doing all their hearings. We we're hearing a lot of stories here and there, and um, uh, to have it confirmed like that just um, just really was sad for, for a lot of us. It's not as if we didn't know those things were um, happening in different uh, locations, but uh, it, was, it was saddening, and so, yeah, it was, it was not, not a good thing. What about here in the Yukon? Why is a search needed here as well? Well, again, the um, First Nation people have always talked about, you know, the Chutla Residential School because it's one, it's the oldest uh, school site in, in the Yukon. It opened in the early 1900s or just at the turn of the century then. Um, and 
many, many children uh, attended from throughout the Yukon, uh, northern northern um, BC, and uh, Alaska, even Alaska and um, and Northwest Territories. So, um, you know, there was children from all all over Yukon that attended that school, and um, there was always talk about you know children that never went home. You know, the the whole residential school um, issue was, um, you know, not to, uh, not to educate them, uh, the First Nation people, I think it was to, elim to eventually eliminate uh, us, you know, as a, as a race of people. It's important to, to, to look and see if there are graves at, at these sites as well. That's right, and we do know that um, uh, from the records that uh, their children did die, and uh, but but we don't have complete information yet on where they're buried because there's no grave markers that we know of, including one for my brother. Yeah, uh, I'd like to talk about your brother uh, in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, first, let's talk a little bit about yourself and where you grew up. Well, I was born and raised here in Whitehorse. Um, I attended the, um, along with my sisters, my three sisters, uh, we attended the Whitehorse Baptist Mission School, which is just um, in downtown Whitehorse. So a lot of people don't know about that school, but it ran from 1947 to 1960 when we were able to, from there, go to public school. On the, of course, that is also, yeah, an Indian residential mm -hmm. school. And on the Truth and Reconciliation website, they there's a report from Indian Affairs that found that that school was very unsatisfactory. That's right. That's well, right. Was yeah. that your experience there as well? That's right. Um, it was it was um, a situation where um, it was really um, uh, run by a tyrant, a person that, you know, set the rules and um they were very very strict you know and and everything was done according to whatever was supposed to be done and and um so you know there were of course a lot of nice people that worked at those schools but when the head is very very strict and and wants things his way then that's the way things are one thing I find, like when you look at photographs, because, well, when you look at photographs, they were only taken when there was some kind of celebration or things like that going on. And I know that from experience when I, when I was working on the project for Finding Our Faces, like the book that we produced. Uh, Finding Our Faces was the, the photo book that you developed about for students who went to the Whitehorse Baptist That's school, right. Mission School. Somebody said to me, well, you know, you look, looks like you guys were quite happy. You were having fun. Well, that was it. It was the fun times that they took the photos and things. And, and we didn't have photographs of ourselves. So that was one of the reasons we went ahead with that, that project. But yeah, it's... Um, it's really important to have some some sort of record of that you were there. And your brother uh, Albert, what what do you know about him? Yeah, I just know that. Um, well, he was the oldest sibling, um, and also another sibling, uh, Joe. Um, 
they both went away to residential school as well. Albert went to the Chutla Residential School. Joe went to the um, Gruard Residential School in in uh, Alberta. Um, our brother Albert um, went to school in, and um, and died there when he was about six, five or six years old. In fact, just recently, um, in looking at some of the records that are starting to be made available to us, I was just browsing through and I saw my brother's name. So of course I looked across the grid and all it said was that he attended, um, he enrolled in 1942, didn't say where he was from or anything, um, and that uh, at the end of September he died. Um, we always were told by other students, older students that attended that school, that he died of measles, but the report only says he died of diphtheria. So that's that's all I know about him. And just within a month of being at the school. Yeah, I didn't know that before uh, a couple of months ago. So I let my siblings know that as well. So it it brings some closure to know, you know, at least, at least the date. Um, but it's really sad when you think, you know, that he was only probably five. And I do know that, that he died alone. And when they were sick, uh, he, he was just put into the laundry room. It was cold and damp in there, I'm sure, as any laundry would be in the, in September. So, um, others said that, um, that they had taken him water and tried to help him a bit, but he died. Where was he buried, do you know? He's buried in Teslin somewhere, but there's, I don't know where. Adeline contacted me later. She meant to say her brother Albert is buried in Carcross somewhere. So this is one of the reasons that I'm really keen on doing this work. So, so that uh, like that's just our story <clears throat> of of our brother Albert. But um, you know, many many others would like to have some closure as well. So. Do you remember hearing um, through friends and family about other children who didn't come home in the Yukon? Oh, yes. Uh, there was always talk of that. And um, we do know of, of other families that, um, that went through the same thing. My mother never, ever um, forgot about him, you know. And then, you know, with our brother Joe being in, in Gruard in Alberta, he went there about five years old as well, and he was only like two years younger than my brother Albert. He, he never came home till he was 16. Like, he never came home over the summers or anything. And when Mum was talking about Joe and Albert, it was always kind of, I kind of always thought it was one and the same. I didn't know because I didn't know my brothers then. But I did get to know my brother Joe later, yeah. And you never did get to meet Albert, though? No, no, he died before I was born. Uh, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, the records they've found, um, there's, I guess, the way that deaths were listed at residential schools. Um, it's categorized into named and unnamed, as in, like, some of the school administrators didn't name the children who died at the schools. That's true. In fact, 
some of what I've seen. Uh, there's name. There might be a name. Didn't say what community they were from. It just said uh, died. What does that say to you if if school administrators weren't naming the children who died? It's, you know, the poor record-keeping. Um, I'm hoping that they have another record somewhere, you know, because um, we haven't looked at yet uh, the uh, church records. Like, the, we have some of the church records, I should say, but I would like to see, you know, the church records of marriages, deaths, births, baptisms, that sort of thing, that that's what I'm looking forward to seeing because I'm hoping that they would say in there that, you know, they were buried on the school grounds or they were buried in the local grave graveyard in Carcross, but there's no indication so far. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, see, to hearing and seeing that information. So there's a lot of information that we're going to be um, going through. And so, um, you know, I've seen some of it. Um, and, and you know, there's records of, of meetings and costs that were approved by the Indian Affairs. It's really bureaucratic stuff, you know, so far. So, um, yeah, and so looking forward to hiring a coordinator that can start getting some of that work done. And the Chutla School, I believe, was run by the Anglican Church? It's the Anglican Church, yes. Mm-hmm. And so are you uh, or your group still trying to get records from them? Oh, yeah, they're very open. They've, they've, um, they've um, said they'll share all their records. They have already turned them over to the, to the um, um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, wherever, I'm sorry, I can't remember uh, where they're storing those records, um, the center for... Yeah, yeah, the, the, where the, the physical In Winnipeg, location. it's a place where they go, they have all the records. Right, and this is records for all the schools, so that's it'll right. take time to get the records for that's all the right. places. That's right, that's right. Let's talk about the work uh, this summer. What What's planned at the site of Chula? Well, as I said, um, of course, we're looking to hire our coordinator, and also we've put out an RFP for for um, uh, people to to bid to do the ground penetrating work that needs to be done. Uh, we've also there's also been a lot of work done over the years. The last few years, there's been uh, different attempts to clean up the grounds. Um, to re- uh, go through and look at um, look at the grounds, uh, do all of the research on what what is in the grounds. But anyway, we've uh, we've had a briefing from from uh, some of the people that were looking after that, and and so we're we're going to be working with the engineers to to look at the most probable places because it's a big area. And the school, uh, when it burnt down, uh, the first school, they were housed in different um, different places in in the Carcross community. So, 
uh, it wasn't until um, the mid mid fifties, I think, or just before that, that they they rebuilt the school. But before that, they were living in in sort of army quarters as well, like barracks for for quite a while. So so yeah, it's it's there's a lot of area that needs to be covered. So yes, yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done there, and we need to decide what's the most likely place from dealing with elders that are still around that can tell us that, um, you know, what they know. And so we're hoping to uh, get that work done quickly because, you know, people are, people are getting older, including myself. The, the site of the school, like the second school mm-hmm. was demolished. I think all the buildings on the site have been demolished. That's that right? right. That's right. And cleaned up. They have done some some other work there too, like they have gardens and things like that around. So, yeah. We'll come back to, to Chutla, but uh, after the Chutla site is uh, investigated, will you continue with the other sites in yeah. the Yukon? Yes, that's the, that's the plan. In fact, that's a, that is what the um, the original um, intent was. The chiefs have talked about this and um so you know um linda from carcross the chief from carcross has taken the lead and um, what they want to do is um, complete the work for the next year and two years to uh, at chutla and then move on to other areas where there have been residential schools like the next place we plan to be is here in whitehorse because there was the the Baptist Mission School, as I as I mentioned, there was the the um, Saint Agnes Hostel. Um, there was uh, Yukon Hall, Kudair Residence. Um, there was also a residence that the pa- uh, Catholics used to have right beside the church there in that area. There was uh, there was a residence there, and a lot of uh, students came and attended there as well. So and then moving on to other areas like there, there were other, you know, small schools and things like that set up um, summer, um, things like that. And then uh, moving on to Dawson City, and then on to Stringer Point, which is just at the tip of, of the Yukon. So, yeah. So we've got not a lot of work to do over the next couple of years. So um, we're really. Um, just just beginning eventually this is down the road but could there be excavations at these sites as well to confirm like the identities of yes the children it, yeah it, whatever whatever the community decides you know um and that's that's something like i mentioned earlier we were we're doing is we're working with the, each community working with the elders talking about you know what are the protocols um uh, you know, some people are talking about, okay, they want excavations. Others are saying, no, just leave them where they are. So we have to develop those those cultural protocols. And we need to be working with the elders in each area and the community for sure. So, yeah, it's very sensitive work that has to be done. But I think for people to to find some peace... They need to need to find out what happened to their ancestors and and um, you know confirm for their, themselves and their families. 
So the, I guess a couple parts to this is one is like the search at the site and the other is the records, as you mentioned. Um, and as, as you also said, elders are getting older, but what, what would it mean to you and others just to have a few more answers about your family members? I think um, for me, it's, um, it would be a confirmation for my mother. You know, my mother died well over 25 years ago now. But, um, you know, here she was, a wonderful um, mother, um, and all her children have to go to residential school, you know. And um, for her to lose her her one her oldest son and then practically lose her second son because he was away till he was 16 and then when he came home it of course he had his issues so but i always say that he, you know he he had his struggles for years but he he became well and um, became our hunter and getting us fish for our family, for our sisters. And uh, in fact, in the end, <clears throat> he was a clan leader of our clan. So he redeemed our, that for himself. And, um, you know, for our mother, it, it would, uh, for me, that's, that's why I'm doing it. You talked there about sort of healing, um, and we know that this process is hard on a lot of people, and what kind of supports do you think people will need going through this process? Oh, definitely. We have um, plans to have um, cultural supports always, you know, whenever we're doing our work, and in fact, even at our meetings, we've talked about, okay, uh, you know, um, although we're dealing with a lot of technical issues and and the work that's still very sensitive and if people get triggered you know it's it's important that they have someone to talk to so we always make sure that that we have um you know local people that we could call on that that and and we'll make sure that we do have it but like i said even in our just little working group it's it's can be very sensitive yep how long do you think this whole process might take for well, for the schools in the Yukon? Well, we have a budget and a work plan for like the next five years. So, so yes, we have worked with the Yukon government and and the um, federal government officials to draft budgets and so on. So, so um, you know, it's it's. Um, the the money we we have is sufficient for us for now but there's also the the commitment that if we needed more that um you know we need to to talk about what it is we need so yeah so you know that's the plan at the moment but i think the work will be ongoing for a long time because whatever it unearths um literally it's um it could be just uh, information but um but the thing is it's you've got to have the history you've got to have the history so that you know this sort of thing doesn't happen again it's really important what would you like to see happen once we've got the knowledge of of the work you're doing i 
<clears throat> I think just for it to be shared with the general public and the, our grandchildren, um, all the children in the schools, um, in fact, need to know um, the history and and um, it, you know, the the rich the rich cultural history of the indigenous people of this area before they were forced to ta- uh, to have their children go to residential schools you know uh, some people were successful in in going away um, and hiding out literally to to make sure their children didn't get taken September was not a very happy time in the communities you know like most of us you know if we go up grew up in public school um, you know September is a fun time you're going back to school and all that but it was not a happy time for First Nation community not only here but throughout Canada and I'm sure throughout the United States and so on because we have had some questions from the United States as well it's amazing like you know just heard about the residential school over in Skagway you know and and we were getting some questions on that asking if any of the students had attended but we haven't been able to find out anything from the elders so far, but you know that's kind of off off what we're talking about. But you know, it's 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 moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I hear you have a special invitation to Rome. Yes, I do. In fact, I was totally surprised when I when I was asked um, if I would uh, be willing to go to the Vatican to take a message to the um, the Pope uh, about the experience of residential schools in Canada and look for an apology, ask for an apology um, from from the Pope. And at the time, you know, I, I, I was so shocked, I couldn't believe I was asked. But, because I, I said, but I'm not Catholic. And they said, it's not about being Catholic, it's about you know, my story that I've already told about my family, my brothers, about being a survivor of residential schools. So there's three delegations. There's the Inuit delegation, the Métis, and the um, First Nation uh, delegations, and we each have one hour. It's it's quite an honor to, to be able to, to go there, and um, I'm really looking forward to it and unfortunately was was postponed um was supposed to happen in december of 21 but we're looking forward to a new date very soon and uh i'm anxious to to get there that uh, that was covid postponed so it'll that's depend right. on the pandemic situation i guess when it's that's rescheduled. Right. yeah <laughs> that's right yeah so it's I think it's really, really important because the majority of the 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 schools w- were in um, Catholic schools, and um, and um, I think uh, a lot of damage was done. We hear a lot of damage that was done to so many people, including my brother um, and um, my brother Joe. And uh, you know, I want to go there and and tell the story of. Of you know even our, all the mothers, all the families, you know they're very capable um, individuals, and their children were just taken, you know, with no consideration of of um, their their um, 
their language and that. In fact, my brother talks about he when he went to uh, Alberta, he couldn't speak a word of of English, and he didn't understand why he was being beaten all the time. And one of the other people that were that spoke Klingit quietly told him, "Don't speak Klingit. Don't talk. Like in other words, don't talk." So. You know, it was very difficult for him. So, you know, those kinds of things um, take away your language, take away your culture, take away your family. Those things really need to be told in person to the Pope. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to me today. It's, it's not an easy topic, and it's one that's obviously very connected and personal to you, so I really appreciate you sharing. Yes. I, anytime I can share... Um, is is really important um i've done other work uh, to make sure that the the information about residential schools is um is told you know and um it's truly important and so it's not an issue for me when i'm asked since adeline and i spoke new dates were set for the indigenous delegation's visit to the vatican that's now scheduled for March 28th to April 1st. That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Please share this episode and leave us a review. It really helps. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. For a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street, across from City Hall. There's a great selection of hats, clothing, stickers, and more. Do you have something to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media, at North of Ordinary. You can also contact me, Karen McCall, with feedback or story ideas. My email is editor at northofordinary.com. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Our podcast artwork is by art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Head Candy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We have another episode coming out next week. I hope you listen in. Thank you.